0: Welcome back to Read to Me, because sometimes you just want someone to read you a story. This is Amy, and we are going to start the final chapter of Frankenstein in today's episode. I am actually going to be splitting the final chapter, which is chapter 24, into part one and part two uh, for two reasons. One, it's a significantly longer chapter than the other chapters in the book, and two, because we actually have two separate narrators. Um, So the first part will have Victor Frankenstein still as our narrator. He will finish with his part of the story, and then we actually pick back up again with Walton, the ship captain, in the second half of the chapter. So that will be part two, and that will be coming next week. So without any further ado, let's hear what Victor Frankenstein has to say. Chapter 24 My present situation was one in which all voluntary thought was swallowed up and lost. I was hurried away by fury. Revenge alone endowed me with strength and composure. It molded my feelings and allowed me to be calculating and calm at periods when otherwise delirium or death would have been my portion. My first resolution was to quit Geneva forever— My country, which when I was happy and beloved was dear to me, now in my adversity became hateful. I provided myself with a sum of money, together with a few jewels which had belonged to my mother, and departed. And now my wanderings began, which are to cease but with life. I have traversed a vast portion of the earth, and have endured all the hardships which travellers in deserts and barbarous countries are wont to meet. How I have lived I hardly know. Many times have I stretched my failing limbs upon the sandy plain and prayed for death. But revenge kept me alive. I dared not die and leave my adversary in being. When I quitted Geneva, my first labor was to gain some clue by which I might trace the steps of my fiendish enemy. But my plan was unsettled, and I wandered many hours round the confines of the town uncertain which path I should pursue. As night approached, I found myself at the entrance of the cemetery, where William, Elizabeth, and my father reposed. I entered it, and approached the tomb which marked their graves. Everything was silent except the leaves of the trees, which were gently agitated by the wind. The night was nearly dark, and the scene would have been solemn and affecting even to an uninterested observer.' The spirits of the departed seemed to flit around and to cast a shadow which was felt but not seen around the head of the mourner. The deep grief which this scene had at first excited quickly gave way to rage and despair. They were dead and I lived. Their murderer also lived. And to destroy him I must drag out my weary existence. I knelt on the grass and kissed the earth, and with quivering lips exclaimed— By the sacred earth on which I kneel, by the shades that wander near me, by the deep and eternal grief that I feel, I swear, and by thee, O night, and the spirits that preside over thee, to pursue the demon who caused this misery, until he or I shall perish in mortal conflict. For this purpose I will preserve my life. To execute this dear revenge will I again behold the sun and tread the green herbage of earth which otherwise should vanish from my eyes forever. And I call on you, spirits of the dead, and on you, wandering ministers of vengeance, to aid and conduct me in my work. Let the cursed and hellish monster drink deep of agony. Let him feel the despair that now torments me. I had begun my adjuration with solemnity, and an awe which almost assured me that the shades of my murdered friends heard and approved of my devotion but the furies possessed me as I concluded, and rage choked my utterance. I was answered through the stillness of night by a loud and fiendish laugh. It rang on my ears, long and heavily. The mountains re-echoed it, and I felt as if all hell surrounded me with mockery and laughter. Surely in that moment I should have been possessed by frenzy— and have destroyed my miserable existence, but that my vow was heard, and that I was reserved for vengeance. The laughter died away when a well-known and a bored voice, apparently close to my ear, addressed me in an audible whisper, "'I am satisfied, miserable wretch. You have determined to live, and I am satisfied.'" I darted towards the spot from which the sound proceeded, but the devil eluded my grasp. Suddenly the broad disk of the moon arose and shone full upon his ghastly and distorted shape as he fled with more than mortal speed. I pursued him, and for many months this has been my task. Guided by a slight clue, I followed the windings of the rhone, but vainly, the blue Mediterranean appeared, and by a strange chance I saw the fiend enter by night and hide himself in a vessel bound for the Black Sea. I took my passage in the same ship, but he escaped. I know not how. Amidst the wilds of Tartary in Russia, although he still evaded me, I have ever followed in his track. Sometimes the peasants, scared by this horrid apparition, informed me of his path. Sometimes he himself, who feared that if I lost all trace of him I should despair and die, left some mark to guide me. The snows descended on my head, and I saw the print of his huge step on the white plain. To you first entering on life, to whom care is new and agony unknown, how can you understand what I have felt and still feel? Cold, want, and fatigue were the least pains which I was destined to endure. I was cursed by some devil, and carried about with me my eternal hell. Yet still a spirit of good followed and directed my steps. And when I most murmured, would suddenly extricate me from seemingly insurmountable difficulties. Sometimes, when nature, overcome by hunger, sank under the exhaustion A repast was prepared for me in the desert that restored and inspirited me. The fare was indeed coarse, such as the peasants of the country ate, but I will not doubt that it was set there by the spirits that I had invoked to aid me. Often, when all was dry, the heavens cloudless, and I was parched by thirst, a slight cloud would bedim the sky, shed the few drops that revived me, and vanish." I followed when I could the courses of the rivers, but the demon generally avoided these, as it was here that the population of the country chiefly collected. In other places, human beings were seldom seen, and I generally subsisted on the wild animals that crossed my path. I had money with me, and gained the friendship of the villagers by distributing it, or I brought with me some food that I had killed which, after taking a small part, I always presented to those who had provided me with fire and utensils for cooking. My life, as it passed thus, was indeed hateful to me, and it was during sleep alone that I could taste joy. Oh, blessed sleep! Often, when most miserable, I sank to repose, and my dreams lulled me even to rapture. The spirits that guarded me had provided these moments, or rather hours, of happiness— that I might retain strength to fulfill my pilgrimage. Deprived of this respite, I should have sunk under my hardships. During the day, I was sustained and inspirited by the hope of night. For in sleep, I saw my friends, my wife, my beloved country. Again, I saw the benevolent countenance of my father, heard the silver tones of my Elizabeth's voice, and beheld Clerval, enjoying health and youth. Often, when wearied by a toilsome march, I persuaded myself that I was dreaming until night should come, and that I should then enjoy reality in the arms of my dearest friends. What agonizing fondness did I feel for them? How did I cling to their dear forms, as sometimes they haunted even my waking hours, and persuade myself that they still lived? At such moments, vengeance that burned within me died in my heart— and I pursued my path towards the destruction of the demon more as a task enjoined by heaven, as the mechanical impulse of some power of which I was unconscious, than as the ardent desire of my soul. What his feelings were whom I pursued I cannot know. Sometimes, indeed, he left marks in writing on the barks of the trees, or cut in stone that guided me and instigated my fury. My reign is not yet over, These words were legible in one of those inscriptions. "'You live, and my power is complete. Follow me. I seek the everlasting ices of the north, where you will feel the misery of cold and frost to which I am impassive. You will find near this place, if you follow not too tardily, a dead hare. Eat and be refreshed. Come on, my enemy, we have yet to wrestle for our lives.' but many hard and miserable hours must you endure until that period shall arrive. Scoffing devil, again do I vow vengeance, again do I devote thee, miserable fiend, to torture and death. Never will I give up my search until he or I perish, and then with what ecstasy shall I join my Elizabeth and my departed friends, who even now prepare me the reward of my tedious toil and horrible pilgrimage. As I still pursued my journey to the northward, the snows thickened, and the cold increased in a degree almost too severe to support. The peasants were shut up in their hovels, and only a few of the most hardy ventured forth to seize the animals whom starvation had forced from their hiding places to seek prey. The rivers were covered with ice, and no fish could be procured, and thus I was cut off from my chief article of maintenance." The triumph of my enemy increased with the difficulty of my labours. One inscription that he left was in these words, Prepare, your toils only begin. Wrap yourself in furs and provide food, for we shall soon enter upon a journey where your sufferings will satisfy my everlasting hatred. My courage and perseverance were invigorated by these scoffing words. I resolved not to fail in my purpose, And calling on heaven to support me, I continued with unabated fervor to traverse immense deserts until the ocean appeared at a distance and formed the utmost boundary of the horizon. Oh, how unlike it was to the blue seasons of the south. Covered with ice, it was only to be distinguished from land by its superior wildness and ruggedness. The Greeks wept for joy when they beheld the Mediterranean from the hills of Asia, and hailed with rapture the boundary of their toils. I did not weep, but I knelt down and with a full heart thanked my guiding spirit for conducting me in safety to the place where I hoped, notwithstanding my adversary's jibe, to meet and grapple with him. Some weeks before this period I had procured a sledge and dogs, and thus traversed the snows with inconceivable speed— I know not whether the fiend possessed the same advantages, but I found that, as before I had daily lost ground in the pursuit, I now gained on him, so much so that when I first saw the ocean he was but one day's journey in advance, and I hoped to intercept him before he should reach the beach. With new courage, therefore, I pressed on, and in two days arrived at a wretched hamlet on the seashore. I inquired of the habitants concerning the fiend, and gained accurate information. A gigantic monster, they said, had arrived the night before, armed with a gun and many pistols, putting to flight the inhabitants of a solitary cottage through fear of his terrific appearance. He had carried off their store of winter food, and placing it in a sledge to draw which he had seized on a numerous drove of trained dogs, he had harnessed them, And that same night, to the joy of the horror-struck villagers, had pursued his journey across the sea in a direction that led to no land, and they conjectured that he must speedily be destroyed by the breaking of the ice, or frozen by the eternal frost. On hearing this information, I suffered a temporary access of despair. He had escaped me, and I must commence a destructive and almost endless journey across the mountainous ices of the ocean— amidst cold that few of the inhabitants could long endure, and which I, the native of a genial and sunny climate, could not hope to survive. Yet at the idea that the fiend should live and be triumphant, my rage and vengeance returned, and like a mighty tide overwhelmed every other feeling. After a slight repose, during which the spirits of the dead hovered round and instigated me to toil and revenge, I prepared for my journey, I exchanged my land sledge for one fashioned for the inequalities of the frozen ocean, and purchasing a plentiful stock of provisions, I departed from land. I cannot guess how many days have passed since then, but I have endured misery which nothing but the eternal sentiment of a just retribution burning within my heart could have enabled me to support. Immense and rugged mountains of ice often barred up my passage, "'and I often heard the thunder of the ground sea, "'which threatened my destruction. "'But again the frost came "'and made the paths of the sea secure. "'By the quantity of provision which I had consumed, "'I should guess that I had passed three weeks in this journey, "'and the continual protraction of hope "'returning back upon the heart "'often wrung bitter drops of despondency and grief from my eyes. "'Despair had indeed almost secured her prey.' and I should soon have sunk beneath this misery. Once, after the poor animals that conveyed me had with incredible toil gained the summit of a sloping ice mountain, and one, sinking under his fatigue, died, I viewed the expanse before me with anguish, when suddenly my eye caught a dark speck upon the dusky plain. I strained my sight to discover what it could be, and uttered a wild cry of ecstasy when I distinguished a sledge, and the distorted proportions of a well-known form within. Oh, with what a burning gush did hope revisit my heart. Warm tears filled my eyes, which I hastily wiped away, that they might not intercept the view I had of the demon. But still my sight was dimmed by the burning drops, until giving way to the emotions that oppressed me, I wept aloud. But this was not the time for delay, I disencumbered the dogs of their dead companion, gave them a plentiful portion of food, and after an hour's rest, which was absolutely necessary, and yet which was bitterly irksome to me, I continued my route. The sledge was still visible. Nor did I again lose sight of it, except at the moments when for a short time some ice rock concealed it with its intervening crags. I indeed perceptibly gained on it. And when, after nearly two days' journey, I beheld my enemy at no more than a mile distant, my heart bounded within me. But now, when I appeared almost within grasp of my foe, my hopes were suddenly extinguished, and I lost all trace of him more utterly than I had ever done before. A ground sea was heard. The thunder of its progress, as the waters roiled and swelled beneath me, "'became every moment more ominous and terrific. "'I pressed on, but in vain. "'The wind arose, the sea roared, "'and as with the mighty shock of an earthquake, "'it split and cracked with a tremendous and overwhelming sound. "'The work was soon finished. "'In a few minutes a tumultuous sea rolled between me and my enemy, "'and I was left drifting on a scattered piece of ice "'that was continually lessening, and thus preparing for me a hideous death. In this manner many appalling hours passed. Several of my dogs died, and I myself was about to sink under the accumulation of distress when I saw your vessel riding at anchor, and holding forth to me hopes of succor and life. I had no conception that vessels ever came so far north, and was astounded at the sight. "'I quickly destroyed part of my sledge to construct oars, "'and by these means was enabled, with infinite fatigue, "'to move my ice raft in the direction of your ship. "'I had determined, if you were going southwards, "'still to trust myself to the mercy of the seas, "'rather than abandon my purpose. "'I hoped to induce you to grant me a boat "'with which I could pursue my enemy, "'but your direction was northwards. "'You took me on board when my vigour was exhausted.' and I should have soon sunk under my multiplied hardships into a death which I still dread, for my task is unfulfilled. Oh, When will my guiding spirit, in conducting me to the demon, allow me the rest I so desire, or must I die and yet he live? If I do, swear to me, Walton, that he shall not escape, that you will seek him and satisfy my vengeance in his death. And do I dare to ask of you to undertake my pilgrimage, to endure the hardships that I have undergone? No, I am not so selfish. Yet when I am dead, if he should appear, if the ministers of vengeance should conduct him to you, swear that he shall not live, swear that he shall not triumph over my accumulated woes and survive to add to the list of his dark crimes. He is eloquent and persuasive, And once his words had even power over my heart. But trust him not. His soul is as hellish as his form, full of treachery and fiend-like malice. Hear him not. Call in the names of William, Justine, Clerval, Elizabeth, my father, and of the wretched victor, and thrust your sword into his heart. I will hover near and direct the steel aright. Thanks for listening to this episode of Read to Me. You can support the podcast by subscribing on whatever platform you're using to listen right now. You can also leave us a review on iTunes, which is a great way to help other people find the podcast and really, really helps us out with those pesky algorithms. You can follow the podcast on both Instagram and Twitter at read Me mepod although admittedly I'm much more active on Instagram. I post new episodes every Tuesday and Friday, and occasionally I'll post bonus episodes on Sundays as well. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, happy reading.